0: fill up every day at his pump, lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's Word is truth and your questions matter. I'm your host, Jonathan Romero, and today we're going to be concluding chapter 3 of Ephesians. We're going to be finishing up Paul's prayer And we're going to be focusing on verses 20 and 21. And we will understand the doxology in Paul's prayer. And we can actually gain something from it. We can learn from it. And we can see what Paul is saying and where he's getting at. And also, since this is God's word, this is what God wants us to know uh, within Paul's prayer, right? This is Paul being genuine and what he is praying for. So we want to understand not only Paul's mind, but also what God wants us to know through uh, Paul in this letter in Ephesians. And he also, he writes down his prayer. So, let's go ahead and read. We're going to begin in verse 14 of chapter 3 so we can gain context. Um, and overall, the overall context of for verses 14 through 21 is uh, Paul's prayer for strength, right? He is praying for the believer's Uh, in Ephesus, and that God would grant them strength, and he lets us know why. So let's begin. Let's Let's read verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So that is Paul's prayer, right? He is letting the believers know that they are to have this strength. And he's asking God to give them strength so that they may be able to have in their hearts Christ, right? Listen to what it says in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that is the purpose for us gaining this strength, and it is done by God's Spirit. He himself enters our hearts and changes us so that Christ may make his dwelling within us. He is weaving out uh, all the impurities, all the sin that is deep within us even sins that we've forgotten, that are deep inside, the Holy Spirit lets us know and reveals to us what is still inside of us. And now we are confronted with that sin and we are to repent from that sin and come to God knowing that He will forgive us because He has forgiven us. And we see that forgiveness through the cross. But here we're going to be focusing on verses 20 and 21. Let's reread that. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. All right, so basically there, we have to understand it begins with now to him. So this is the point where he is pointing to, he is directing his readers to a specific person and he is referencing God. He's saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, right? So Paul is laying out his point and why God is rightfully to receive praise. And notice this prayer of Paul is actually a worship. He is worshiping the Lord within his prayer because he is explaining God and he is making much of God through this because he's saying now to him who is able, Right? Jesus lets us know, and uh, John lets us know that we are unable to come to him unless the Father draws, uh, draws us to himself. So this inability that we have is because of our sin nature, where we have fallen off or cut been cut off. What Christ does is he unites us and brings us back to God, right? So he brings us together, which is why Jesus is the mediator between God and man because he's the only one that can bring us to God. But here, Paul is laying out his and why God is to receive rightfully praise, right? And that's what Paul is doing. He is praising the Lord and Paul is beginning it, uh, bringing it all together in his prayer, right? What he started to say in verse 14 and then now he is concluding it in verses 20 and 21, right? Because now this point in direction that he is guiding us, guiding his readers, is towards God. And he is saying, now, to him who is able, right? God is able. Paul referenced many times about God's sovereignty, right? He didn't use those words, but he talked about God naming every single family that is named, right? So he knows them by name. And also here we are seeing who is able, right? The only one who is able to do anything is God. Now, that is according to his nature, right? God would not do something that is apart from his nature because then he wouldn't be God, right? It would mean that he is able to commit sin against himself and God cannot do that. It's impossible for God to do that. But here it says that who is able. So Paul is directing his uh, readers to God's sovereignty. Now, how able is God? That would be the next question, right? Because Paul says, "Not to him, who is able? So how able is God? Well, if we keep reading, it says, who is, in, who is able to do far more abundantly? So how able is God? Well, God is far more abundantly able. So we cannot even imagine God's greatness because it is far beyond us, right? We need God's strength to comprehend his love. If that is true, now just imagine the strength we need to comprehend God's strength. Just think about that. Uh, There's actually an example in Exodus 33 so if you guys are following along go to exodus 33 we're going to be reading a few verses there listen to what it says listen to verse 17 i'm gonna read from 17 and on all the way till the end of uh that chapter of 33 so verse 17 it says and the lord said to moses this very thing that you have spoken i will do for you have found favor in my sight and i know you by name Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of in a cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my backside, but my face shall not be seen. So listen to what the Lord is saying, right? The Lord is saying first, actually, Moses asks to see God's glory and God says, well, if you see my glory, you will die. Right? There's many people. There's um, the NAR movement, right? The New Apostolic Reformation. This movement of people claim themselves to be Christians, but they claim to be in the presence of God all the time uh, in such a way that is blasphemous. They say, look up into uh, the ceiling and you'll see gold dust that is God's glory. They're going to say, God's glory is very weighty, right? And, and they speak in, in such a way that they can actually experience God's glory and still live. But that is just false. Listen, this is Moses we're speaking about, right? Moses is uh, one whom God chose to be a prophet of the people, right? A prophet to speak God's word, God's truth to the people and even Moses was not able to see God's glory instead he saw God's backside because God says if you you cannot see my face for men shall not see me and live so he generalizes that all people anybody cannot see him and live so what did God do he had a veil Moses in order for Moses to even get a glimpse of God's glory and the glimpse that got, that Moses saw from God is this. He says, I will cover you, cover you with my hand until I have passed by. So God has already passed by. Verse 23, then I will take my hand away and you shall see my backside, but my face shall not be seen. So basically what God did is he gave Moses just a slight glimpse, the dust off his feet to moses and that was enough um i would even venture to say that's more than enough right we see all of creation glorify god how can we say there is no god and then we expect god to prove himself by asking him to show us his glory let us feel his glory right no god doesn't respond to our commands right we cannot command god to do anything if God says no, then you will say no. Uh, there's nothing that we can bribe God with. Now, God will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And if you ask God, he listens to our prayers, the prayers of, his, of the believers, of the Christians. And if we are in distress, Jesus says, cast your anxieties onto me, right? So, um, and he said, I will give you rest. Uh, that's a promise from the Lord. He will give us rest. Um, how will that look like? Do not know. We do know that after this life, sin will be no more. He will wipe away our tears. So if that's what Jesus meant when he says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, that rest can look like rest In the afterlife, not in this life. Maybe in this whole life, we will see tribulation after tribulation after tribulation. Until we die, and then once we die, we will be with the Lord and there will be sin no more. He will wipe our tears away and now he's going to say, See, I have given you rest. Right? So we don't know what that rest looks like. We can't expect God to give us rest as soon as we ask for it. Doesn't mean it won't happen because many times He will give us peace. And He has given us peace. And the greatest peace He has given us is on a cross, right? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we no longer have to fear the wrath of God. Now we can abide by His word and hold fast to it and trust that all the words that God has spoken in the Bible Is true. And if he says that we have been given peace, we have peace with God, as it says in Romans 5 1, then we have peace with God. We can rejoice now. We no longer have to fear the Lord, but now we can come to him in prayer. And Paul is coming to God in prayer and he is worshiping the Lord in his prayer, right? So this is a uh, his worship that he is doing in exit in uh, Ephesians. So let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter three, verse twenty. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we, than all that we can ask or think. So Paul is saying that God can do far more abundantly. So it's way beyond us. God is so far beyond us. Right, His ways are not our ways. His thoughts on our, are not our thoughts. He knows the deepest of our hearts. Um, and He is cleansing us. He is indwelling us, making a place for Christ. So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We are more and more being rooted and grounded in this love. And then... Paul is asking that we may be strengthened, that we may gain this strength so that we can comprehend with all the believers, all the Christians. It says with all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, right, which surpasses knowledge. And then he is directing us to this praise to God, right? God alone will get this glory. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask. So anything we can ask or think. If you thought of a great thing and you took time into preparing this thought, God is able to do far more abundantly than that thought, right? Anything you can think of. But there's uh, key words that we have to understand here, though, Right? Again, remember what I said earlier, God cannot go against his nature, which is why Paul lets us know, according to the power at work within us. So that sounds very, very familiar. According to the power that is at work within us. What does that mean, right? So this power is doing far more abundantly than we can ever think of or ask of. Right. Let's let, let's take a step back real quick. Right. So far more abundantly. What is that in comparison to? Well, that's in comparison to us. Right. Our ability to think and do. Right. Man is limited uh, with his or her power in strength and in thought. And God is the sovereign one who can do far more abundantly. Yet like it says, I sound redundant, but we have to understand this is God we're speaking of. We have to implant that in our brains. Try to understand God's sovereignty. Right? So God is the sovereign one. So nothing uh, that is cons- considered good and right is hard for God to do. Right? If it's considered good and right according to his nature, he is able to do far more abundantly than we can think of what is right and good. So this Prayer of praise is directed to God and His power, right? So this is also a connection to the previous verses, where God lets us know that we need His power in order to comprehend His love, right? So that's a uh, that's a big one, and it says according to the power at work within us. So that sounds really fam- familiar, right? In verses, well, in verse seven of chapter three, Paul. Uh, says that he is made a minister by the working of God's power? In chapter 1, verse 19, let's read that. Chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Right. What is Paul doing there in chapter 1? Well, he is asking that the Lord will grant us, uh, grant us these eyes that we'll be able to see. Right, he, he wants us to see, to be revealed what we could not see before. And here it says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So many times Paul references God's power and how great God's power is. Um, And we cannot even fathom how great God's power is. But again, if you want a point of reference, look at the cross, look at Christ and his work that he did. He died on the cross was buried on the third day, he rose from the grave. Right? He rose from the grave. Yes, there's instances like Lazarus rising from the grave, but he only rose from the grave to die again. Jesus was the first to rise to never die. And now what he is doing, he is reconciling everything to himself, and whenever he returns, he's going to raise up all of those who have fallen, right, who have died, Who are believers, it's gonna raise them up, and also those who are still alive. It's gonna raise those who are still alive when he returns. And we're gonna come to him and meet him in the sky, it says. So, this is the greatness of God's power. And we uh, should not forget how powerful God is, right? We may feel oppressed, we may feel downcast feel like we've lost a battle because we're suffering through anxiety, through depression, uh, through different things within our lives, right? But we have to always understand that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, right? Right? There is no limit to God's great power. And it says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, again, to him, right? So, verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, verse 21, to him be glory. But where? In the church and in Christ Jesus. So the glory is God's and God's alone. And he's saying to him be glory in the church, in the believers, right? In the body and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, right? Not some generations, but it says all generations or every generation. So you can translate the all to every. So you can uh, say that. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout every generation. So anytime, anywhere, God's glory is God's glory. And And Paul gets redundant, right? He says forever and ever, amen. So Paul's aim of praise is God. And Paul just laid out one of the greatest prayers of all time. Uh, For he asks a very selfless prayer to God, right? That God may grant his power to the believing Christians in Ephesus, as well as all future believers, uh, since we will not get to the end of God's love, since we are limited in time, and God is eternal. But not only that, uh, this selfless prayer is a prayer for now as well. We all all should be praying that God may grant us power to understand his love, grant us power so that Christ may dwell within our hearts or make his dwelling within our hearts. Now, he is making his dwelling within us, but we're to continually ask God to help us to mold us and conform us more and more into the image of His Son. And that is done through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as we read God's Word. Because God's Word is truth, Jesus says. And that is the means by which the Holy Spirit works within us. So to echo Paul, yeah, to God be the glory. Forever and ever, throughout all generations, right? Forever and ever. So the forever and ever um, is actually Paul being redundant. He basically uses the same word twice. And the word that he uses is aeon. And what aeon Uh, can translate to is a space of time or a lifetime. So, we could say to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations in this lifetime and the lifetime after or in a lifetime and another lifetime. Or you can say in this age and another age. So, he is just Bringing it all together, saying that God will forever receive this glory. Because all generations are to glorify God. Always. Because God is able to do far more abundantly than we can ever ask. And that we can ever think of. And this is the God whom rescued us. He took on flesh, and as Jesus Christ walked among us, lived a sinless life, fulfilled the law. He was our representative because he took on flesh, and he died on a cross as a sinless man, therefore being the perfect sacrifice, so that now he can be our representative if we put our trust in him. It's like Ray Comfort whenever he says, Whenever you're in a plane, 10,000 feet in the air, and you're being asked to jump off, are you going to jump off without the parachute, or are you going to put the parachute on and trust that the parachute will save your life? And that's what we're doing when we're putting on Christ. We are trusting that Christ will save us. But what did Christ save us from? Well, Christ save us from God's wrath, right? Yes, we sin against the Lord, and we need our sins to be cleansed. But what Jesus saved us from is God's wrath. And that's what happened on the cross, and that's why Jesus said it is finished on the cross. It's as if he uh, drank the cup of wrath. The cup of wrath that we were supposed to drink, Christ drank it for us. And he appeased God's wrath. And now we don't have to fear the wrath of God. Now we can come to him and experience God's love. So reread Ephesians, reread chapter 3, and just ask God to help you gain an understanding of his word, an understanding of uh, what God wants us to learn and know here. Right? It is far beyond us because it lets us know in Verse 18, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love, of God's love, and it says it surpasses knowledge. And he wants us to know that it surpasses our knowledge. So that's how great God's love is towards us. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if you repent from your sins, right, turn away from your sins, hate sin, because God hates sin, and love God as Christ loved the Father, right? He was our example, and we are to follow that example. And here, Paul is laying out this prayer, and he is uh, unashamed by saying, I'm being selfless right now. I am asking God that he may grant you, saints, with this power that you may be able to comprehend what is the height and the depth and the length of God's love. And the breadth, how wide God's love is, right? We will not get to the bottom of it. But we are to seek to understand that and continue as we continue reading God's word. So, as Paul says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus th- throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is. Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero.